last year. Um, <clears throat> now they they've played two games, so there's a little bit of tape, so you have a bit, little bit better understanding of uh, their roster. Um, when you watch the tape from last year, I mean, you can see why the Philadelphia Eagles are good because half their team plays for them. Um, but it's a, it's an extremely talented team. I mean, they've got a ton of four and five star players, and they've recruited really well. And they play with an intensity that uh, I think they get from their head coach. It seems like a very intense guy as well. Um, they've got every scheme. I mean, it's like being back in the NFL when you talk about scheme. They've got them all. All right, welcome back to the GamecockScoop.com podcast, the podcast of GamecockScoop.com on Rivals. I'm Caleb, joined by Alan. We are breaking down the South Carolina matchup in Athens this weekend versus the number one two-time national champion, Georgia Bulldogs. Um, and yeah, I think Logan's kind of summed things up pretty well yeah. there <laughs> at the top. Uh South Carolina's going to be overmatched in this one from a talent perspective. There's no really two ways to slice that. Um, but we're, we'll get into it because obviously you could just turn it off and uh, not watch it. But they, they play the games for a reason. Uh, we'll get into what could go right, um, what could make this game a little weird. And uh, we'll get into that here shortly. As always, we start talking about recruiting. Um, I'll have my full weekly recruiting wrap-up this weekend probably Saturday morning. Um, We'll see, whatever. Uh, But uh, one quick note is that the 2026 Rivals 100 uh, just dropped this week, and South Carolina's lone 2026 commitment quarterback, uh, Landon Duckworth, uh, landed in the top 100. He's at 63, I believe. Um, And when I looked through and tried to count very quickly, he is the number three rated dual threat quarterback and the number six overall uh, quarterback for the 2026 class and in those initial rankings. So um, about what we expected. Always oh, a four-star as well. Um, about what we expected. It uh, seems like South Carolina is off to a good start again uh, with the 2026 class, and it's a good – Duckworth would be a good one to, to build around going forward. Um, we'll see if he turns into like the peer recruiter that uh, Dante Reno has been for the 2024 class, or if that's someone else. Because uh, I would say in the 2023 class, that that guy was pro- probably Zabari Sandy, um, who was a safety, so um, and helped pull a lot of those guys from the DMV region. Um, we'll talk more recruiting a little bit later. Obviously, next week there's another home matchup. There'll be a new visitors list, all those sorts of things. Um, but let's talk about this matchup with Georgia. So uh, as Loggins just described, uh, he said that the Eagles were pretty good this year because they just drafted a bunch of Georgia guys. Um, they've been recruiting four and five stars, so they're reloading more more than anything for those guys that they missed. Now, granted, maybe you don't have a replacement for like a Jalen Carter who uh, wrecked shop uh, week one last, last week for uh, sure the did. Eagles. Um, so we will uh, we'll see if there's some some matchups that we can kind of exploit. But yeah, give me your overarching thoughts uh, on this game, and I guess you know what hope do Gamecocks have? Gamecock fans have uh, as they turn on their TVs at three thirty on Saturday. All right. Well, just start with the obvious. Georgia is better. Georgia is favored by four touchdowns for a reason. There's no reason to act like that's not the case. As far as if you're South Carolina, what you're looking for in this game, what maybe 
gives you more hope than you had last year in that game. One, your quarterback's playing a lot better than last year. Um, Spencer Rattler clearly is on a different level than he was 365 days ago. So that can you hear me? Yeah. Oh, you're you snap. Okay. Um, so that's one to start with. Um, Georgia doesn't have the same quarterback experience. Carson Beck is a five-star. Carson Beck is obviously very talented. He's not Stetson Bennett in terms of knowing the offense. Carson Beck has never started an SEC game before. Saturday will be his first. Um, and I think if you're trying to exploit something there, you have an opportunistic secondary. You have you think back to you know Georgia South Carolina games in the past that have gotten a little bit weird. It's usually turnovers. Um, I think about that 2019 game, especially, I think there were four. Um, and if you can just put a little bit of pressure on him, you can force a mistake early. If you can maybe, I don't even want to take it out in front, but stay even for a quarter, two quarters, and you just plant a seed of doubt. That's again, you're talking about for South Carolina to win this football game. You're talking about a hundred dominoes that have to fall the right way. If talking about the first or second one that might just get the ball rolling, I think you probably need to force an early turnover on an inexperienced quarterback and see if you can, no pun intended, get him a little bit rattled. Yeah, I think that, yeah, you definitely have to try to take advantage of that. We've seen um, lesser quarterbacks than Stetson Bennett um, succeed against South Carolina over the course of this series um, just because they run the ball so well. They protect. Um, but I do think the South Carolina defense is probably better than the one that I can't even remember the, the kid's name that like broke the uh, completion record in Athens back in like 20. Oh, um, was it Hudson Mason? Yeah, some someone that, yeah, there's a reason that we can't think of his name. Have right? you ever heard the Georgia quarterback bit, Spencer Hall, that just say all the same sounding names? Like <laughs> Hudson Mason, Aaron Murray, Grayson Lambert, they all just kind of sound the same. They do. It's uh, a white kid with rich parents. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I mean, could, uh, man, now we've said so many names. I lost Carson Beck. There you uh, go. A, See, they all sound the same. <laughs> have a career uh, day as well. Probably. I'm not going to I'm not going to rule it out. Um, but I do think um, there's something to be said for him facing an SEC defense as a starter for the first time uh, while a game is still uh, in question. Obviously, he got some some late work here and there last year. Um, and yeah, maybe you can you can take advantage of that and, and sort of get in his head a little bit. I do think that uh, at least in the secondary, you have the players to create some tough throws for him. Um, can you put some pressure on him? I don't know. Uh, can you get some explosive plays on offense early on to kind of uh, put some pressure on Georgia needing to score? Me, uh, I, I think it's going to be tough to string together a lot of like 10, 15 play drives. That's, I think you need yeah. to get some quick hitters. Explosives. Yeah. Um, and then maybe in special teams, right? Special teams is the one area of this game last year that you could even argue South Carolina won in. Um, so can you make a game-breaking play on special teams once again? It's happened in that stadium before. I'm thinking about Melvin Ingram now taking that punt past Harry Dog. But, yeah, I think going back to the Beck point, too, and I, this is something I wanted to ask you. You heat him up, right? That's the way to do this. You try to blitz. You try to get some pressure on him. You trust that DQ Smith, that even as a freshman, Jalen Kilgore, that Marcellus Dial, that you just kind of trust that those guys are going to be able to 
hold their water and coverage for a little bit, even if it's man-to-man, and you try to heat back up a little bit for some quicker decisions, right? That's the move here. Yeah, and now, of course, the problem, and we saw this a little bit last year, is once Georgia gets the running game going, yeah. those guys start to creep up to try to make a play because you're frustrated that they're dashing you uh, on the edge in the run game, and that's when the PA pass uh, sure. you know, hits you over the top or whatever. Now, on the running front, uh, yesterday I posted a view from the other side article from UGASports.com. Uh, um, <laughs> Anthony Dasher, where I asked him five questions, and one of them was about the injury situation for the Bulldogs. And Kendall Milton and Dewan, Air, De, is that how you say it, Dewan Edwards? I think um, so. Both are dealing with injuries right now, um, hamstring and knee injuries. It's possible that Edwards is back um for this week but you know will he be 100 percent? i don't know and also he mentioned that the offensive line has been sort of struggling to gel here early so maybe there's got good tackles there yeah that's maybe there's a little bit of hope and um that georgia's running game isn't going to be the you know deandre swift uh nick chubb nick chubb level at least at this point in the season um and you can you know, try to create a little bit of a mismatch there or try to at least come out somewhat even there? I definitely think the strength of this Georgia line is the interior. I mean, I think Shane Beamer mentioned they've got probably an NFL center, Cedric Van Pran, who's been there four years. They're replacing the two tackles. Um, if you can get some pressure off the edge, if you can do that, I mean, we're just hitting all the main points we talked about with South Carolina two weeks ago, but if you can force some obvious passing downs, you can pin your ears back a little bit and trust your secondary. I mean, Georgia's got, I mean, they got outstanding players everywhere. They've got two transfer wide receivers look like game breakers. Um, Dominic Lovett torched South Carolina last year in that Missouri game. He's at Georgia now. Um, I, I just think the way to do this is you're going to have to win the turnover battle. I'm not sure how you do that without forcing Carson Beck into some mistakes. And I think you're going to have to get some pressure on him and whether or not you can do that is a different question, but I don't, think this is a drop seven rush four kind of game where that's going to work i don't know that you have the personnel to make that happen so yeah you're definitely gonna have to dial up some pressure um and yeah i think you just have to have some good things happen early uh be it turnovers or explosive plays on offense um what are we hearing from an injury front on south carolina at this point so can we expect Antron Wells to be 100% finally for the first time this season? That would go a long way in helping out Spencer Rattler if you have both he and Leggett, who, who's obviously off to a, a great start this season. Also, I saw Eddie Lewis was the highest-rated uh, PFF yep. wide receiver. Was it in the country or SEC uh, this past weekend? Um, so, he had six you know, catches. Nice. He had, hit, had the deep ball. Um, yeah, that's a weapon for sure. Uh, Wells, 100% no. That's just still going to be a process. More than you saw last week, yes, is kind of what I'm thinking, kind of what I'm hearing. Um, I just that's going to take time still, but he's practiced more this week than he did last week, or done been able to do more, I should say. Um, I think kind of same with Nicky Minwari, whether or not he plays, travels, I'm still not 100% sure. Marcellus Dials seemed pretty confident he'd be back. Um, obviously, Shane's keeping that close to the vest, but. It's, it's just hamstring injuries specifically are so tough. They can linger. Everyone's timeline's different. But I think he's trending in the right direction. 
The Wells question is interesting to me because, like, even if he's not 100%, if you have 60% of Juice Wells, and I'm just throwing a number out there, that's still a pretty dangerous decoy you can put on the field. Yeah, and I mean, it's worked at times over the first two weeks even. Right. Um, probably a, a big reason why Leggett's had some of those one-on-one opportunities. Uh, and yeah, yeah, you're going to want him out there at least if they can't double up uh, Leggett, who is good. But if he's going up against uh, two guys in the Georgia secondary at a time, that's going to be a tough situation. You try to get the tight ends involved a little bit, but yeah. we are expecting them to probably... They're going to uh, have to block yeah, Max protects them uh, because of some of the deficiencies along the offensive line. Um, what about Marky Anderson? Heard anything about his injury situation this week or kind of same old, same old? I haven't heard anything there. I also wouldn't, even if you have a healthy Marky Anderson, I don't think you throw him into this game just because he hasn't played yet. You're not going to start him with Georgia the same way you didn't start Tree Babalade and Trovon Ball with the North Carolina game. They didn't play at all in that game and you work the minute firm. And I just don't think that's a realistic option this week, starting a true freshman against Georgia. Not starting the game, like just playing him at all, starting his career that way. Um, Case and Henry, I still don't expect to play. Um, he was on crutches in the sideline last week. I think you're still going to be down there at right tackle. Um, I'm trying to think who else. Uh, your nickel GTS position. Gear. Oh, gear, oh, yeah, I think I think is he's probably on the likelier side. Um, still hasn't played yet, but I lean towards, again, that's going to be a rotation thing. That's going to be working him in for snaps. That's, I'm not saying GTA is going to play 50 snaps, but I think likelier than it was last week that he'll play. Um, what else do we have? That second, that nickel position, Spalding and Nelson, both questionable. That's where I think you get really dicey. Um, well, there, there is some flexibility there. Snaps. There's some flexibility there if Eamon Warwick does make it back this week. Yeah, they've worked DQ at nickel before. Yeah. So, so I think that's what would end up happening is you'd have DQ playing nickel. He's kind of good in the box anyway. And then you would have Eamon Warwick and Kilgore at safety if that's what ended up happening. Which actually, long-term, could be your best three. Um, yeah. Especially with the the way that the injuries have played out at nickel. But uh, we'll have to see if Ema Mori's back. Like you said, hamstring injuries can linger uh, for several weeks. And if he's back, is he 100%, which I don't right. think he would be even if he is playing. But um, We'll have more info on the injuries tonight after Shane Beamer's appearance on Carolina Calls. He usually does a little short injury report right at the beginning. <laughs> um, he, you know, how much we get out of those usually um, right before the game is – something else because uh, we've seen that this step doesn't like to tip their hand if they can help it um, on those sorts of things, which, Hey, I don't blame them. Games in the chip, right? Um, (laughs) As far as uh, I guess sort of questions heading into this game, I think you, you can't bear the lead. You have to start with the offensive line. Um, Terrible against North Carolina. Um, Nine sacks. 15 turn tackles for a loss. We've we've talked about all these things or 17, whatever it was. Um better last week, but obviously a different level of competition last week. Uh you did work in Tree Babalade. You did work in Trovon Ball, though I heard uh, Shane Beamer call him Tro uh in the pressers this week. So Tro Ball. Tro and Tree. Um <laughs> <laughs> the and the two freshmen played pretty well. And we talked uh on Sunday about 
potentially that set of tree at left tackle, um, Garjulo at right, I mean, at left guard, uh, Vershawn Lee at center, um, Trovon Ball at right guard, and uh, is Ja'Kai Moore at right tackle on that drive? Yeah, Ja'Kai Moore at right tackle. That that might be your best five, but are you throwing two freshmen in there in Athens in that environment um, this early in their career? I lean towards yes, because if you're, I still think that gives you the best chance to protect Spencer Rattler, both from a, I can throw the ball standpoint to an, I can stay healthy standpoint. Um, you're going to have to live with mistakes. You're going to have to live with, yeah, there's probably going to be a false start or delay a game or two in front of 90,000 people when you're trying to get the protection set. That's going to happen. Um, but if you're trying, A, you're talking about this Saturday, I think, we already have the known quantities on uh, maybe not even so much Fugar because he only played one game at this level, but you still kind of know what you have there. He's played a lot of college football. Tyshawn Wanamaker has been here for a couple of years. You know what you have there. Um, Jackson Hughes, you saw what you had there week one at left tackle. Um, I think that it's kind of grass has to be greener kind of thing. And I don't mean that as a shot at those guys, but I, even if it looks as bad as it did against North Carolina with Babalade and Ba in there, you take that as, okay, they're going to learn from this. They're going to be in the program over three or four years. This is going to be a good thing long-term if they're learning from this. And I think if you just kind of – if it's going to look that way, probably no matter what you put out there, I think any offensive line in America would struggle to block those guys. I think you probably want to go younger. Yeah, I mean, I think in a game like this, uh, just like in, say, the Tennessee game last year or whatever, you do have to have a little bit of a effort mentality, for lack of a better term. Um, if those are your most talented guys, I think you probably take your licks with them. Unless, I don't know, you're in practice and you're seeing um, them make tons and tons of you know mental freshman mistakes and you can't throw them out there. I think most likely, I don't know if we'll see those guys start the game. I think most likely you're seeing those guys work into the rotation. Um, but I think you're still going to see plenty of Fugar and, and Hughes as well. Um, I do also think that there's something to be said for shaking a true freshman's confidence. Like yep. there's a difference between getting them in there last, last week against Furman and getting them some early wins and throwing them to the Wolves <laughs> on a, in a road game in Athens. Um, so yeah, I, I think there might still be a little bit of a ease them in mentality, but I wouldn't be totally shocked if they go the other direction either. I mean, uh, I think it's pretty clear from a talent perspective, that's that starting five that I just mentioned is your best five. Um, so maybe there is a level of like, just kind of taking your lumps with them and, and going forward. Yeah. And I really think when you talk about your best five, we're really talking about those two freshman spots because there's no way barring injury obviously that Vershawn Lee's not going to play center you're not going to mess with your quarterback center exchange and there's no way Garjulo's not going to be in there you, you didn't bring him here you didn't bring a four-year offensive lineman in to sit and there's probably no way Ja'Kai Moore's not in there he's one of your more experienced guys too so really we're not talking about a best five so much as we are you've got three spots you feel okay about not even okay but that's just what it's going to be what are the other two? What can you maximize out of those two? And I do think it's Babalade and Ball personally, just because I, again, I know the staff, you can't think this way as a, as a staff, 
You're not thinking ahead. You're thinking about how to win the football game on Saturday. Does it do your vision, your program any good if you get out of this game and Baba Lade and Ba have zero reps in a big game environment and you haven't given them any? Does it help you long term if those guys don't play at all Saturday? I think it hurts you probably. Or does it even help you this season? Because I think this is where we're headed no matter what. Yeah. <laughs> uh, just how long is it going to take uh, to get there? And you have a very winnable slash crucial game next week against yes. Mississippi State. Um, so I think it, it would do you some good to go ahead and get those guys some reps. Maybe it's a situation where you start with the, the veteran guys and then if you do – fall down a few scores uh you know you end up down 17 21 points in the second half you just let the freshman finish things out because why not at that point um or yeah maybe you think that they give you the best chance to stay competitive with it early um and the thing is i don't think that you need them to be perfect in this game no spencer rattler is going to be sacked in this game let's go ahead and Breaking <laughs> news. accept that That's yeah you need them to be average, right? Like, can we bring that nine sacks that they t- that they gave up uh, against North Carolina down to four or five? Um, can you give Rattler a few plays per series um, where he gets some time to find his open receiver? Which I, I we've already kind of mentioned this. I think you do. If there is one place where you have a little bit of a potential advantage, it's your wide receivers versus George's uh, secondary, which is still very good, but did, um, you know, graduate several to the NFL. Javon uh, Bullard's questionable too. It's an all American safety. So, um, you know, I think that's where your mismatch is if there is one, but obviously you have to protect Rattler long enough to, to get the ball out. Yeah. I think that's where the tight ends come back into play. I think you're going to have to see a lot of that 12 personnel again. Um, I don't even want to call it an advantage, but if you're talking about, I do agree with what you said earlier that you're probably not stringing 10, 12, 15 play drives together against this defense. You're going to have to hit on some chunk plays. And I mean, and to be fair, I'm thinking of the one early in the game last year was before an interception, but Rattler did hit on one big play. I think it was to Wells on that first drive. got him down to the 30. Um, You can hit a couple explosives against this defense. Just, you know, I'm, I'm trying to think of this like a boxer almost. Just land a few jabs, stay in the fight long enough. That's kind of where I think you have to look at this. And to your point on the offensive line, and you say, and I do think you're right, you don't want to play these guys. You don't uh, you don't want to screw their, screw their confidence. Okay, they got wrecked. Where do we go from here? The flip side of that is not that they're going to bully Georgia's defensive line off the field at all. Hey, if those guys play well, if those guys play average, if those guys – Spring a couple big plays. Well, yeah, you're not scared of any other defensive line you face. You can block well against that one. If what if Tosin Babalade can block well on Saturday or average or give you a chance? Yeah, I mean, we were talking about this before we hopped on, but I think at the very least, he's your most athletic option at left tackle on the roster that's healthy right now. Um, so <laughs> I think he's still got some more strength and conditioning to do to be able to go toe to toe with some of those Georgia defensive linemen. But is he at least quick enough to get in front of them longer than uh, Fugar or Hughes? I think so. Um, so, you know, I don't know. Does that buy Rattler a couple more seconds that he wouldn't have with one of those other guys in there? I, I tend to think so. Um, it's just, yeah, keeping 
their head right going forward after what is going to be a very tough matchup. Now, uh, to their credit, in the press conferences this week, I believe it was Beamer was talking about uh, Tree Babalade and his attitude and kind of said that he's kind of built for for that, right? Where he's got kind of a positive attitude, whether you're up or down yes. or, or whatever's happening. So um, maybe you maybe he has the personality for it and you trust him to just use this as a learning experience and, you know, work as hard as he can in this scenario. That's kind of what I think too. And then just sticking with the offensive line more, um, this is from Brent Rollins who works for UGA rivals website right now. South Carolina is second in the sec in passing play percentage only behind Texas A&M Georgia's third, by the way, but 65.8% of the time, South Carolina is throwing the ball. I mean, they couldn't even really run the ball that well against Furman. I mean, it looked a little bit better. You made a couple more creases, but I don't think I'm breaking any news here that they probably won't be able to run the ball very well Saturday. Um, do you just abandon that from the start? Do you say this is going to have to be a Rattler masterclass to have a chance here? Or do you try it a little bit? I probably come out slinging it, honestly. That's kind of um, what I'm thinking, too. Even if by slinging it, I mean like you're working in – uh side to side passes we'll see if amarian brown's back uh who has been pretty good in the first two games of the season of uh, getting out there in space and making something happen on those shorter downs um you know to and joiner had what six catches last week i, I think mm -hmm. you still use him in the passing game as that utility knife that he he's been or whatever um but yeah i just i don't see much uh use in sitting there and trying to run a bunch of uh, power off tackle sort of. No, that's how first and 10 becomes second and 12. Like, yeah. I, I just think that's what it's going to be. And you're already, we're already talking about um, the pressure that that rattler is going to feel, uh, help them out by, you know, not giving them too many obvious passing downs to start things off like that. Yeah. I think you, I, I don't want to come in with the attitude that you can't run the ball, that you are incapable of getting yards on the ground, but I think you're probably you're closer to that in this game than you will be in any other game this season, probably just given what Georgia does against the run. Um, this is going to be number seven's game to, I'm not going to say win or lose because he can play well and they can still lose against this team, but his game to keep competitive. And by the way, and I wrote about this a little bit in my final preview, that's going to be up tomorrow. Big game for Spencer Rattler, big game for his NFL draft stock playing against this defense. He was, pretty bad last year against Georgia. It was one of his worst games of the year. He threw two picks. Um, I think he only completed 13 passes in that game. Um, if you buy into the idea, and I think we all do, that Rattler's better, that Rattler's an NFL quarterback, this is kind of a prove-it game for him too, isn't it? I I think so. Um, now, I still think that he'll be graded on a curve uh, sure. if he's got dudes in his face all game and stuff. But... Um, I mean, he had dudes in his face all game against UNC and still completed 30 of 39 passes. So I think just not putting the ball in too much danger, um, making the open throws when they're there and when you have the time. And yeah, I guess trust Xavier Leggett on a few of these because I think you're going to have to hope that he can out-athlete um, some of that secondary if you're going to get some of those explosive plays that we're talking about. I think that's the only way you're going to you're going to do this. You're going to... It's going to have to be a big play kind of game, whether that's explosive plays, special teams, like you mentioned. There is a little bit of Georgia turnover vulnerability. They've turned the ball over four times the first two games. Uh, 
Carson Beck did throw a pick last week against Ball State. Like that's you're gonna have to steal some possessions somewhere um, and capitalize on those. I think that's going back to the UNC game. He did get two turnovers. He did recover an onside kick. He didn't do anything with it. Um, that's what this looks like. I don't think that's going to happen. But if you're talking again, if you're talking about a path here where a hundred things go right and you win the football game. That's what it's going to be. You're not going to beat Georgia down to down to down. I just don't think you're going to do that. Yeah, I mean, we've seen a recent enough example in a 2019 South Carolina team yeah. that I don't think is as good as this team from top no. to bottom. Um, team went four and eight. Yeah, exactly. Uh, but go in there and um, make something big happen. Uh, yeah, you had to have uh, freshman DeCarrie and Joiner, who I believe talked a little bit about that game. Yes, he did this week. Um, finish that game out because Bentley got hurt or was it Bentley back then? Anyway, um, was it Holinsky? It might've been, it was, um, it, it was not what you wanted, but you got a big play early in that one. Um, it I was Holinsky. Was to, I'm looking okay. at it now. I think you got a deep pass to Brian Edwards that kind of sprung the door open. Uh, you scored first or you at least made something happen first. And then um, you just muddied up the game and got it ugly and, some turnovers i think that that's kind of yeah. the path to victory here um we can get into score predictions here in just a minute but i think if you're going to win this it's going to be something like 21 17 i'll say in low 20s like yeah a, I'm a, looking... a, yeah like a really ugly game um i don't see a scenario where you're going to put up 30 plus against this Georgia defense um, I'm looking at the 2019 game now. You got a 46-yard touchdown pass to Brian Edwards in the first quarter. That made it 7-3 to three after George kicked a field goal early. Yes. Um, Jake Fromm threw three picks, including a pick six right before halftime. That's what gave you the lead that you held pretty much the whole way until Georgia tied it with um, two minutes to go, and then you win the game in overtime after another interception. Um, and a, a missed field goal, too, yep. somewhere along the line. Rodrigo yeah. Blankenship missed for 42 yards out. Um, that's what it's going to have to be. And I don't think that's going to happen, but I will say before we get into score predictions that are probably going to be ugly, what would have, if this game goes the way we think it's going to go, what would you have to see to still think, all right, this is better than it was last year. This is on the right track. They can beat Mississippi state. What are your positive signs? Even if they lose this game by 30 points. Yeah, I think the O-line looking average is probably the top of the list there. Um, like I said, give up five sacks. Don't give up nine. Um, let uh, Rattler make a couple of big plays. Um, I think that's another big aspect is him not crumbling uh, on the road yeah. in Athens. Um, and I think defensively, you gave up probably a lot of yards, but not a lot of points. You kind of the bend and don't break mentality worked um against yeah a team again that's better than you but you made plays when you needed to and um i don't know you don't get fully blown out maybe you lose by two scores or less yeah i think mine i think my main thing would be just even if you do get fully blown out can you stop the trickle a little bit can you and this was a 21 nothing game of the three possessions last year this was a 14 to three game at the end of the first quarter two years ago and it was 20 point game before halftime can you just get to the end of the first quarter down seven or tied ball state did that last week in athens i don't think that's a crazy unrealistic expectation for a team that started slow this year in a couple of games in georgia can you 
can you get to halftime and the game's not completely over? Maybe you're down 14 at halftime. That's, again, that's not a, I don't believe in moral victories. You should it in this conference. You should want more for your program. All that stuff we talked about last week on the, on the Sunday show. That to me is, you are, you look like you belong on the field with them for at least a half. Cause that hasn't happened yet in the Shane Beaver era in any, either of those games. Yeah. And to be clear, this is like us talking with a realistic realistic perspective or whatever, I guess. Um, I don't think there's anyone in that locker room that doesn't believe that they have a chance. Like, I think no, that they're going to go in there and try to try to win the football game. Yeah. Um, and we've seen throughout the Beamer era thus far that that belief can take you a long way. So um, I think we're just saying if this game gets played a hundred times, at least 95 of them <laughs> go George's way. Yeah. Um, but I do think that there are those five times and maybe this could be one of them uh, where things get a little weird and wonky and uh, interesting, but yeah, I agree with you. I think just like keeping it close in the first half, making it interesting, you go into halftime, you still feel like that there's a chance. Um, and then you let the chips fall where they do after that. Yep. And we've talked about this rivalry before we've talked about, Melvin Ingram or to carry on Joyner or Quincy Carter throwing five picks, whatever you want to do. Um, stuff happens if you stay close, but it can't happen if you're down 21 at the end of the first quarter. Yeah. And I do think that there's something to be said for the way Spencer Rattlers played over the last five games um, of his South Carolina career. Um, if that trajectory continues, I do think you always have a puncher shot. Um, He's made some incredible plays uh, over the last calendar year. Um, I think you have the athletes to make some things happen if he has enough time to get a couple of those incredible throws off. And if that happens pretty early, then things will get interesting. And I hope that does happen. It will make our Sunday show a lot more fun. <laughs> yeah, um, I'm all right. Picking that, but yeah. Yeah. Let's get into that. So, so what, what, what's your actual prediction in this one? I'm trying to think what I wrote now, what I have in there. I think I said like 45, 14, Georgia, 13, something like that. I I think Georgia wins big. I think Georgia covers. Maybe you do get that close for first quarter, but too much depth, too much talent, too much inexperience for South Carolina. I think you're looking at one and two and a season-defining game next week against Mississippi State. Yeah, I also picked Georgia to win. Um, I was pretty close to that. I picked them 45 to 21. Yeah. Uh, Probably so you got South Carolina covering that number is at 27 and a half. I do think I do think that that's a really big spread uh, for this rivalry and for the way that the the team has played under Shane Beamer's leadership through most of this era. Now, granted, they did get blown up by Georgia last year at home. Um, is was that indicative of who South Carolina was? last year and who Georgia was last year. I don't know. I think probably they were a little bit closer than the final score there indicated last year. Um, less than 27 points. How about that? Uh, but that's still a pretty big range. So, uh, yeah, we'll see. Um, I think that they're going to cover, but I do think ultimately that the I, I called it the boa constrictor um, effect of Georgia's defense is going yeah. to eventually set in. Yeah. No argument here. And really, if you get out of this game healthy, I think that's the main thing. You're already stacked up pretty thin on the injuries, at least guys that are questionable, guys that are banged up. If you get out of get out of this week with nothing worse, I think you can kind of 
take a breath, reset, get ready for a big home game. Yeah. And for, for the record, count me in as someone that hopes uh, in the post game on Saturday that Shane Beamer gets to point to the room and say, none of you picked us, which is exactly yeah. what he did against Tennessee, Tennessee. last year. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, maybe, maybe we'll all be pleasantly surprised. Uh, but uh, yeah, we'll, we'll see what happens. All right. Let's, let's look around the country a little bit. Uh, this is a terrible state it's of games. In. Um, yeah. So there's a reason that game days at Colorado, Colorado state, which is probably going to be a blowout in favor of Colorado. Um, but favored by 23 there. Yeah. And I don't know if that's enough. Um, let's look at some of the stat picks we did this week. If you'd like to see them all they're on gamecocksgroup.com this morning, uh, with a little bit of breakdown of why you should watch each, um, first one we had was LSU minus nine at Mississippi State. Some of these lines have probably moved, but we locked them in on Sunday. Who'd you have in that one? I'm pulling up the sheet now. I picked LSU to cover on the road, but I don't feel good about it. I just Mississippi State did not play well last week. They were pretty lucky to escape that game against Sarah. They got they got the benefit of four turnovers last week and still need an overtime to beat what I think is a pretty mediocre Pac-12 team in Arizona. I'm picking the LSU bounce back after how they looked week one, but also I would not be surprised if a weird 11 a.m. kick in Starkville goes south of the Mississippi State wins. Yeah, that's kind of how I feel. And actually across the board, all five of us picked LSU and picked LSU to cover, um, which honestly gives me a little bit less confidence. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, for the record, by the way, uh, Allen is 18 and seven, just picking the game straight up this year. I'm 17 and eight, picking the game straight up this One year. Game, yeah. Um, you're the only one, well, you're making the most money if we were putting anything on it because you're 14 and 11 against the spread. So, uh, we'll take that for what it's worth. I'm 11 and 14. I'm not doing terrible, but you know, can't keep that up or it's going to parlay, uh, hit last week. It did not. Um, I can't remember. There was like one thing that was screwed up on it and it wasn't even far off, but I haven't put mine in yet this week. So I don't have one for you this week. Um, all right, uh, Penn State minus 16 at Illinois. Uh, this is maybe the best Penn State team uh, of the James Franklin era, um, although that one with Saquon and all of them was pretty good too. But uh, what do you think in this one? Taking Penn State, and they're really good. I watched Illinois-Kansas last week. That Illinois lost by double digits, and they were lucky to say that close. I'm taking Penn State. Yeah, I feel like Illinois is good at making games weird. So I picked Penn State, but I picked it the picked uh, Illinois to cover. But it's not one I feel great about. But that was just like a weird. That was a that was a big spread, sixteen points. Speaking um, of weird numbers, it's a, I think this next one's very weird. Yeah. So next we have K State minus five at Mizzou. Um, K State destroyed Missouri last year um, at Missouri. Um, Mizzou hasn't looked particularly good so far this year. K-State has their, what, number 16 right now in the country. I mean, they blew out Um, a very good Sun Belt team last week in Troy. I mean, they crumpled them up. Yeah, so that feels like it's too low of a line. I agree. Um, That's definitely on my list as far as betting interests go this week. But also, we talked last week about some of these that feel like a little suckery. That's the only reason I – yeah. I don't get it. I don't know why that's only five. I mean – Middle Tennessee State not only stayed close last week, they had the ball in Missouri territory with a chance to go down and win the game with three minutes to go. Like, 
that wasn't just like a weird game. Like Missouri was actively in danger of losing that game for 60 minutes. Yeah. I think and Kansas they, State should blow them out. Yeah. But I the agree. number's weird. It scares me. Yeah, that's kind of where I'm at too. We've already talked several times this year about how Vegas seems to just know some weird things. So um Oregon State minus 25 and a half uh at home versus San Diego State. See, we're already getting into these kind of ugly games because uh, there's not a whole lot to choose from. Um, I think I'm the only one that picked Oregon State to cover that 25 and a half. I think they're pretty good on offense. I mean, San Diego State's not bad, obviously, but it's just a big number. I like Oregon State a lot. I think they're very good. I'm all in on this Pac 12 swan song thing. Uh, 25 and a half is a lot. Gamecock fans, do you know who the running back for Oregon State is that's averaging over six a carry right now? I actually don't. Yeah, Deshaun Fenwick. Uh, he started oh. his career at South Carolina uh, before transferring out there. Uh, you probably wouldn't mind having him. No, right you would not. <laughs> um, you also got Georgia, obviously, minus 27 um, against South Carolina. We've already talked a little bit about that. I picked South Carolina to cover the 27. You picked Georgia to cover the 27. We'll see. How that goes. Um, North Carolina minus six and a half against Minnesota at home. How are you feeling about that one? I think that line's an overreaction to UNC wobbling against App State last week in a hangover spot. I've watched both teams. Drake May is very good. Minnesota's quarterback play is very much not. I think this is just a, that line's already moved to seven and a half this week. So people are betting on UNC. I, yeah, I, I think if you're proud, too much. I think if your crowning defensive achievement uh, for Minnesota is holding Nebraska to 10 That's points kind or whatever of what it was, um, that doesn't say a whole lot about your defense. No offense to Marcus Satterfield, our, our good friend. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, Washington minus 14 and a half at Michigan State. Obviously, Michigan State has had a bit of a weird week. Um, that... I mean, I picked Washington to cover that because of the weird week, but you always play. I, I wouldn't want to bet that one because you always play the risk of like the team rallying behind the interim or whatever. I would have picked Washington to cover before just because I think Michael Penix is going to be a Heisman finalist and I'm all in on that offense. Definitely doing it now. Yeah, no, I mean, I think that's the safer bet. I just, I wouldn't want to put any actual money on it because it gets weird sometimes with those situations. Um, I mean, look at when... Spurrier left and uh, Sean Elliott took over for South Carolina. He had them in very competitive in games that they had no business being competitive in just because of the belief factor or whatever. Um, all right. Probably the game of the day if you're an SEC fan, uh, although I don't know that it's going to live up to the billing. Tennessee minus seven and a half at Florida in the swamp. Okay. I'm. First of all, for the sake of the conversation, I did pick Tennessee to win and cover. I'm very curious about this game. I think Tennessee's clearly better. You know what I think of Florida. You know I don't think Florida's good. They need this one. Like, I, I saw someone else making the point, and I can't remember who, but Billy Napier was 0-4 against Florida's rivals last year. And if you look at what Georgia is, what Florida State is, the fact they have to go to LSU this year, this is the winnable one. If you want to avoid an 0-8 there, which I think 0-8 against your rivals probably gets you fired at Florida, right? Um, yeah. Florida needs this game. It's at home. It's at night. It's a desperation spot. 
I think they're going to blitz the hell out of Joe Milton, try to confuse him in his first big road environment. I picked Tennessee to cover. I think they're better. I would not at all be surprised if a very desperate backs against the wall Florida team that is okay on defense. I think the offense is the bigger problem there. Finds a way to make this ugly and wins like 20 to 17. That's kind of where I'm at. Um, Tennessee has not looked invaluable. Picked, uh, what did you pick? I picked Tennessee to cover. Um, but I don't think that they've looked infallible, and it wouldn't totally shock me if this one got weird and ugly. Does this, and to be clear, I don't think Graham Mertz can put it up 63 points, and I think Tennessee defense is a little bit better. But does this not feel like Tennessee going to South Carolina last year with everyone telling South Carolina they're not good, backs against the wall, nothing's going right, everybody just feeling down on themselves, and you come up? I don't know. It's, it's yeah. a joke. I mean, I definitely think not, the, the script will have to – Follow a different format because oh, yeah, you don't, no, it's not going to be that. But you don't have the offensive explosiveness capabilities that South Carolina had uh, last year and underwhelmed on uh, up until that point. But I think that there's a there's a scenario where yeah, Joe Milton throws three picks or something, and this gets really weird. Joe Milton on the road at night in the swamp against a team that needs a win. Yeah, we'll see. Um, another one that I think is like. Could be a sneaky good game uh, is BYU and Arkansas. BYU at Arkansas. Uh, Arkansas is favored by 10 and a half. And to me, that felt like too many points. So I, I am picking Arkansas to win, but um, I picked BYU to cover that spread. Well, the 10 and a half is weird to me because Rocket Sanders isn't playing this week. He's still, he's still injured. Like, I almost picked BYU to win outright just because of that just because I think that's just so much of Arkansas's identity, what they want to do on offense, running the ball. A lot of what they can do with like the zone read stuff with KJ Jefferson depends on being able to run the ball with Rocket. I would not be surprised if BYU won. I think Arkansas finds a way at home. But, I mean, Rocket Sanders is one of the most dynamic players in the country, not just in the SEC, and not having him against a quality opponent. I don't think question the 10 and a half. Yeah, um, I don't really care about talking about Texas and Wyoming. Why is that even on the sheet? I say that's also on our sheet, but whatever. Um, tomorrow night, you got Virginia and Maryland. Maryland is favored by 14 and a half. That feels pretty safe to me. Big uh, September, Maryland. Maryland. I would pick them to cover for sure. Um, like you said, Colorado minus 23 against Colorado State. That's going to be the late, late game. Doesn't start till 10 Eastern on ESPN. I probably won't watch that. <laughs> um, any other games from this weekend that we didn't mention that you're kind of keeping your eye on? I don't have so much that I want to like talk about. I think we need to break down on here, but there's just some very weird. Oh, backyard brawl. Forgot about that one. That's fun. I love that game. That game's just what I love about college football, the rivalries and what that means to people the, there. Do you have the line on that one? West Virginia. I, we should have put that on the sheet instead of Texas, Wyoming. Jeez. Yeah. Um, oh, West Virginia minus two and a half. Gotcha. Yeah. That's a night game. Looking forward to that. I I would probably pick Pitt to cover I think, that. I mean, I know Pitt came out completely flat last week against Cincinnati, which is probably why that line's where it is. I still don't think West Virginia's good. That does. I mean, that game last year was great. It was tied late. Pitt got a pick six, like two minutes left to win. That is a true throw the spread out just play 60 minutes rivalry. Yeah. Probably pick pit, but that's fun to watch at least. Yeah. That one, that one should be entertaining. Um, TCU Houston could be yeah, could do kind there. of interesting. I think TCU should 
cover the seven and a half. There's some, and I don't need to talk about them, but there's some weird like power five going on the road to group of five stuff this week. That I just weird seeing on the schedule. You've got Wake Forest going on the road to Old Dominion, Oklahoma going on the road to Tulsa, Iowa State going on the road to Ohio, Alabama at South Florida in the Pirate Ship Stadium. And there was one really? more. Bama's going yeah. to Tampa. I didn't they realize are. that. Um, there was one more. Vanderbilt going to UNLV, heading out to Vegas. I don't need to talk uh, about any. That one's actually kind of fun to me. And I don't need one... to talk about. You can talk about Vanderbilt if you want, but no, I just that was one I was thinking about uh, throwing throwing a bet. Vanderbilt down favored on. by four, I think. Yeah. So I mean, I haven't put together a parlay yet, but if I'm looking at my picks that I'm looking at this week, um, Tennessee minus six and a half. Vanderbilt minus four, Charlotte and Georgia State. That could be fun. Georgia State favored by seven and a half there. Um, I picked Charlotte to cover that seven and a half. Uh, And I picked uh, Georgia Tech to cover 18 against. They're at Ole Miss. Ole Miss, yeah. I think Um, Ole Miss is pretty good. I I think they're pretty good too. too. I'm very interested in Ole Miss Bama next week. We can get into that in the show next week, but. Yeah, it's a weird week in college football. I mean, how many times did Power 5 teams play in G5 stadiums? You've got, what, six of them this week? Yeah. Um, I believe uh, Steven Anderson and the staff picks this week said this is a good week if you're trying to get, like, social credit with your significant other to, <laughs> to take them out for a date. Just be like, oh, yeah, I'm skipping college football this week to to take you out for dinner. Um, you know, get a, get a couple of points because – I don't know that you'll be missing that much. So, or maybe their post game drinks after South Carolina does something in Athens. Who's to say? Yeah, well, I mean, and what you do is you go to a sports bar, get some wings or something. Then you can kind of keep an eye kill, on it. Yeah, if any any of them do get interesting, you know, end the date a little early. But um, all right, we will be back here on Sunday morning to talk South Carolina and Georgia. I hope that we're eating a lot of crow yep. for our predictions. We'll see. Um, in the meantime, uh, check out GamecockScoop.com. we got plenty more pregame coverage. We'll have our live chat uh, during the game. If you guys haven't been checking those yeah. out on the Insiders Forum, a lot of fun, a little bit more interactive than the old live threads that we used to do. Um, and you can hop in and kind of like real-time chat with both of us, ask questions, uh, kind of break down some of the analysis of what we're seeing in real time. So check that out on the Insiders Forum on GamecockScoop.com. Until Sunday, uh, we'll see you. Bye.